Well, uh, welcome to church this morning. We are going to start. If you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to camp out there. We're starting verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and our ushers will be happy to bring you one. Hopefully if we have extra. I have a little story I want to share with you. A little girl said, Daddy, this is for you. Who could turn down a handmade gift from such an impossibly cute, pudgy-cheeked, saucer-eyed four-year-old? Her name was Carissa. Her name even means grace. But her chintzy, tight-fisted father could only see waste in the gift. Money was tight. Resources were scarce. The thrifty dad scolded his little girl for wasting an entire roll of golden-colored wrapping paper on one little box. What's more, there was nothing in the box. There was, she didn't put anything in it. So this miser, this penny-pinching skinflint, decided to teach his daughter, his wasteful daughter, a lesson about managing resources. He said, dear, you shouldn't have wasted this nice Christmas paper on this box. And we don't put empty boxes under the tree. And you should have asked permission. And Carissa, the four-year-old, interrupted. She said, Daddy, the box isn't empty. I filled it. He took the box and looked into it as if he had missed something. And she said, can't you see it? And he said, see what? Two big tears broke over her little eyelids as she said, Daddy, I blew kisses into the box. And I blew them in there so that whenever you want, you can open the lid and get one out. Have you ever needed a do-over? Man, I'd have. For the rest of his life, this thrifty father would take this little symbol of her love, leave it by his bedside, and every day he would wake up and he would remind himself to open his eyes to all of the gifts of love and the provision that God had brought into his life. And on occasion, he could be caught sneaking a kiss out of that box. And today I'm asking the question, how is it possible for us as believers in Jesus to live with open hands to receive and to give in a tight-fisted world? It's the last installment of our Epic Grace series, and today I'm going to be asking the question, how can we live lives of epic generosity? Generosity is the ability to give out of the storehouses of what we got. Our emotional, physical, mental, material resources. And God has asked us, he has called us to live lives of generosity, not of miserliness. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, here's what it says. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Hold your finger there. We're going to come back to the Macedonians. But I want to crack open this topic by establishing this all-important truth. And here it is. You can write it down if you're taking notes. In order to live lives of generosity, epic generosity, we must first change our perspective Generous living starts with the gift of sight. I've got this friend who, uh, she lives in a beautiful suburb. 
Beautiful home in a beautiful suburb. A beautiful part of the world. Beautiful part of the country. A lot of people would envy her situation. And she has this husband, and he's not just some ordinary husband. This guy's a rock star. This guy's a fighter. What I, mean, what I mean by that is he gets up every single day and he fights for his family. He fights traffic on the way to work so he can get there on time. He fights when he gets there. He fights uh, the competitors within his company for a place of influence so he can earn more for his family. He's a good man. He fights his competitors outside of the company so that he can get more contracts and get more accounts. Every day, he summons his creativity and his very self, and he marshals it and brings it to his job so that he can fight and wage war for his family. Against what? Against a hobbled economy, a broken political system, a competitive marketplace. And his family enjoys the spoils of his struggle. Moreover, this guy is there for his family. He's just not always working. Man, he is at every game. He is at every event, every dance recital. This guy is there when he can be. Emotionally, he's patient. He's an adoring, doting father. But she, the wife, for whatever reason, has descended into the madness of drug addiction she has cost her family a small fortune in and out of rehab, jail, courtrooms. And her habit is a rapacious hunger that cannot be filled. It is a thirst that is never quenched. It is a deep, yawning demand for more, more, more. That's what addiction is. That's what hell is. Hell is chaos where there ought to be order. Hell is enslavement where there ought to be freedom. Hell can be a self-made place, a state of self-destruction. But the self-destruction is never really confined to the self, is it? Because when we self-destruct, we suck others into the, the dysfunction that we have created. There is always collateral damage in this kind of hell. And I have often thought about my friend, how is it possible that God has planted her in the middle of this verdant garden of provision, abundance, beauty? How is it possible that she is torching it one patch of earth at a time? How can she be so oblivious to the wanton devastation that she is causing her little kids and the permanent damage to her relationships and her marriage? And I know the answer. The answer is she can't see. She's blind. She doesn't see all that God has brought into her life. She doesn't see these beautiful little children as gifts from her heavenly father. She doesn't see this husband who works, who sacrifices every day so that family can have everything. She doesn't see it. And what she needs is not more stuff. What she needs is the gift of sight. And that's what we all need, my friend. The reason why I am a taker by nature and not a giver. You guys have babies. You know, when babies come into the world, oh, they give you so much. As Simon Garfunkel said, they take you to heaven. They do. But they take so much away. They give life and they taketh it away, don't they? They do. They take away your energy. They siphon the life out of you bit by bit, but yet they give you so much, so much joy, so much emotional so much emotional stuff going on when you have one. 
But we are born into this world as naturally born sinners. And the reason why we're takers, incurable takers, is because we're sinners. The reason why I am a vapid consumer bent on my own consumption with a gluttonous hunger for, for more is because I was born into sin. And sinful eyes can only see the world through lack. It can only see a world with scarcity. It can only see a world for what it hasn't provided for me. But God wants to open our eyes so that we can see a world of abundance. So that we can see all of the gifts that he's brought into our lives. I know some of you here, you have a wonderful family situation, but some of you do not. Some of you walked in that door and you don't feel like your family's a gift. You feel like your family is a curse, a deficit. And I want to let you know, this is your family, the family of God. You are rich in family, my friend. You're rich in the people who, sitting, who are sitting in this room. And I'm going to challenge you to take the opportunity, take the challenge to get to know those folks. Thanksgiving, uh, what were you thankful for this year? I, heard, I saw a lot of Facebook posts on uh, Facebook about things people were very thankful for. I, I like reading those. I like sort of eavesdropping on other side. Facebook makes that easy to, be, to become a sort of legal voyeur, I guess. But, um, but it's kind of fun reading about what people are thankful for. I don't know, how many of you guys have a tradition around your Thanksgiving table where you go around and you say what you're thankful for? Yeah, some of you, uh, that's what we do at our house, and everybody was going around, and I have a very quiet family, so they never elaborate on anything. They just say, uh, thankful for family. The next person, all 16 of us, thankful for love. Great, that's nice. Thankful for um, Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer, by the way. And they get to me and they say, Jeff, what are you thankful for? And I go, man, I'm the talker in the family. I go, man, I am thankful for Obamacare. No, just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. I shouldn't have said that. I said, man, yeah, w welcome to church. I said, man, I'm thankful for Thanksgiving. What? Yeah. I'm thankful for Thanksgiving. I love, as you can tell, I loves me some Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, not just because I get to sit around and eat, because you know what Thanksgiving is? It isn't just a time to share relationship with others. It is a time to recognize, to open our eyes and celebrate provision. That's what it is. That's what you did last Thursday. You may have overeaten and put yourself in a tryptophan coma, but that's okay. You were celebrating God's good earth. You were celebrating God's good provision, and that is what it's all about. Thanksgiving is a celebration. It's a time when one time in the year where we can open our eyes and not complain about what we have, but say, God, thank you for what you brought into my life. We must change our perspective. The second way we live generously is, number two, we must see giving as God's grace to us. We must see giving as God's grace to us. We must begin to view the opportunity to give to others as God's gift to us. That is precisely what Paul does say to the Corinthians who started this mess. They're the ones who started the competition. Paul said, you started it. You just out of the blue started giving to the work of the Lord. You just out of the blue came up with the idea all by yourselves, good thinking, Corinthians, to give generously to the work of the gospel. 
And he said, then what happened is the Macedonians saw you doing that, and they got competitive. And they wanted to give more than you. And this is what he says. Verse 1, he says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Look at what they did. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So that you, see to it that you excel in the gift of giving. You see, what, what they did is they said, Paul, let us give. It is a privilege to give to the work of the Lord. Paul was going around to the churches taking offerings so that he could do two things. One, support the work of the apostles in the gospel. And two, so that he could support the poor in Jerusalem and to make it so that they wouldn't die. And so he's going around to these rich Greco-Roman churches and he's saying, man, you guys, cough it up. It's cough it up Sunday. Let's give so that these people can live and so that the gospel can go forward. But these Macedonian Christians, there are some things about them that Paul had to say. Notice Paul does not just say God's grace is what we get from God. It's our ability to give to others. He says they gave in spite of their circumstances, not in light of them. In verse 2, he says in the midst of a very severe trial, they gave their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave uh, in spite of the fanatical persecution of their pagan peers. They gave in spite of the fact that they were going broke being Christians. Because in the marketplace in Rome, you had to take what was called the mark of Caesar in order to engage in the marketplace. So in Ephesus, for example, before you went to the agora or the marketplace to sell your goods, you had to stop at the temple of Caesar and you had to pledge your allegiance to Caesar. And then they would put an ashen mark on your hand or your forehead to show everyone else that you were a Caesar worshiper. Then you could go into the marketplace and then you could buy and sell. So these poor Christians in Macedonia are going broke because of their commitment to Jesus. They are giving out of their want, not out of their wealth. And Paul says, unbelievable, way to go. This is, and then he says to the Corinthians, they also gave proportionately and disproportionately. He says some of them gave according to what they had. And then some of them gave beyond what they had. And so sometimes we give proportionally, but sometimes, like the Macedonians, we give sacrificially. In verse 3, and then in verse 3, again, he says, and they did it willingly, not out of compulsion. He says they did it entirely on their own. No one had to twist their arm to convince them to give. When the Holy Spirit blows into your life, my friend, when God blows his spirit and his gifts and his provision into your life, a spirit of generosity can take you over. A spirit of generosity also comes into your life. Why? Because God is a giver. He gave his son. He gave his spirit. He gave the church. He has given us all things. God is a giver. And when you get filled with God, you get filled with giving. You want to be generous like your heavenly father. You know, uh, what is your favorite dish at Thanksgiving to bring? A lot of you guys like to bring a favorite dish. Just uh, holler some out at me. What's, what do you like to bring? Apple pie. What? Yeah, okay, whatever that was. That, that sounds good. Pecan pie. Okay, I thought. Sweet potatoes. I love, I love some sweet potatoes. Thank you, Jesus. 
I usually never bring anything because nobody wants to eat my cooking. A few things I brought in the past, people just don't eat. I take them home, and then I eat them, and I'm like, oh, that's why they didn't eat them. But this year, I was bound and determined to bring a dish that everyone would eat. And I was, honestly, I was really nervous about this. I, I, I looked up this recipe online, and I got this really cool green, garlic green bean dish, uh, sesame green bean dish, and I followed the instructions mostly. The recipe I followed mostly. I just fudged a few areas there. But I was really nervous. When I got there, I showed it with the pan. I set it down. I kind of snuck it in there with everything else. Like I didn't want anyone to see, see me put it down because then they would know it came from me, you know. And uh, so we sat down at the table and everything set out on the table. And I was, I'm not joking, man. I was literally sitting there sweating because I was so nervous to see if anybody would try my green beans. And they did. Everyone at the table, just about everyone at the table got a helping of them. And they were like, wow, these green beans are really good. And I'm like, I made those. Those are mine. And um, I'm thankful for Thanksgiving. And I felt so good, man. We went in to watch football after dinner, and I just felt so good. Not because I had got my belly full or because I ate people's cooking that was better than mine. Because I had a great time with my family that I love so much. I felt good that I was able to contribute this year. I'm telling you, that is a silly small story about this. But that really illustrates something that God has hardwired in us. He has sort of stitched us together to really, really enjoy contributing. It's, you see, when you bring something to the table, you get a lot more out of it. That's the way the Christian faith is designed to work. I want to leave you with one last story. It's a story, one of my favorite stories that I've ever read. It's about a guy named uh, Rabbi Yoseli. A small town in Eastern Europe, there was an old, crusty, cranky, Rabbi, his name was Yoseli. In fact, they called him Yoseli the Holy Miser. How would you like for that to be on your tombstone? As it turns out, that's exactly what was on his tombstone. In Yiddish, the word miser just means a cheapskate. Rabbi Yoseli was the richest man in that European town, but he had gotten the reputation of being the most miserly. No one ever knew of him ever giving a single red cent to the needy. Every Sabbath, some poor, desperate soul would end up on his doorstep begging for money, asking Yoseli to help them buy groceries for their Sabbath weekend. And every Sabbath, they were turned away. In fact, he was so disliked that no one even showed up for this rabbi's funeral. Now listen, if I die, I want y'all all to be there, okay? Every one of you. But no one even showed up for this guy's funeral. In fact, they, they, they buried him in a nondescript corner of the cemetery away from everyone else. In fact, put up his headstone. I want to show it to you. You have that picture. That's his actual headstone. You can't read that, but what it says is, Rabbi Yosheli, the holy miser. They literally put it on his tombstone. They hated this guy. He was reviled. After Yosheli's uh, burial... Rabbi Shlomo took over, and the following Sabbath, uh, the day before preparations, he heard a knock at the door, and it was one of the poor people from town, and this was a guy with many kids, and he was asking for help for the Sabbath. Within two hours, every pauper in that town showed up to Rabbi Shlomo's house, 
And they all told the same story about Yoseli the miser. And this is how it went. They would come to his house on the day of preparations, or the day before preparations, and they would tell him their sob story, and he would sit and listen compassionately. He would listen with empathy, and then he would jump up and start yelling and screaming and cursing at them and kick them out and slam the door, and they would flee in terror, thinking he was crazy off his rocker. And then the next morning, they would find an envelope slipped under their door with all of the money they needed to buy groceries for that weekend. It turns out, Shlomo discovered, that Rabbi Yoseli had everybody fooled. He tricked them. They thought he was the worst miser in town, and in reality, he was the most generous man that town had ever met. And every week, he met the needs of the poor, and he did it in secret. And he did it without anyone knowing. And then the whole town showed up and mourned and lamented in front of his tomb. That's how the story goes. I like that story. Because it makes me want to ask the question, what would happen if we had a church that was full of people who began to see the provision and the abundance and the grace, the epic grace that God has poured into our lives? And what if, like the Macedonians, we saw it as our job to meet the needs of others? We saw it as a great gift to meet others' needs. What if, like like Rabbi Yoseli, what if we showed the world what we could do? Of course, they would never suspect it. All you got to do is drive by this church. It just looks like a church that meets in a rundown old Kmart. But what if what was in reality is that we were the richest church in town? The richest in giving to the poor, the richest in giving to the broken, the richest in finding and remembering the forgotten, the richest in funding the ministry in the kingdom of God. What if we were that kind of church? We could be. We can be. But I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to take more than a few high-capacity volunteers. It's going to take uh, more than a few really excited small group folks who run some small groups around here. It's going to take more than a few big-ticket givers who give large sums on occasion. It's going to take more than those people carrying the weight of this church. It is going to take everyone in this church stepping up to contribute to the kingdom of God. Let me be blunt with you. If you have a job and this is your home church, you need to step up. You need to become a regular contributor to East Point Church. If you come to this church and you benefit from the ministries in this church, you need to plug in. You need to plug in and find relationships and family members in this church who can help you heal when you are hurt, who can also empower you and equip you to heal others when they are hurt. If this is your church home, it's time to plug in. If you consider this place to be your church, step up, plug in, and contribute. When you walked in, you were given a little card. Why don't you take that out right now? I want to explain what we're doing with that. Take that out. It's called the gift. Little business card, size deal. And here's what Matt and I are getting at. And Nate last week, who did a wonderful job talking about service. Here's what we're getting at. We want you to take this card home. And we want you to prayerfully consider how you will invest in the kingdom of God. Not just in the next few weeks, but long term. We want you to think about how you're going to plug in into relationships. 
How are you gonna contribute, become a contributor, not just a consumer in the body of Christ? We want you to think about how you can make a difference in someone else's life by serving them. You may think that making coffee doesn't make a difference, but I guarantee you, for the you know, three or 400 people who get coffee on a Sunday morning, it does make a difference. We want you to consider and prayerfully think through how you might give a functional, practical gift, contribute to the body of Christ, and financially. We want you to become regular contributors, but we want you to kick it off if you never have before. For those of you who do give, we celebrate you. We celebrate the provision that you've brought into this storehouse. But for those of you who have never had a chance to or you've never gotten to and you want to, we want you to kick it off with this thing we're calling the gift. And we're going to give 50% of it, as Matt said a couple of weeks ago, we're going to take 50% of what you give over the next two or three weeks, and we're going to improve our living room here. Because this is our house. We live here. We come here every week, and we enjoy God's presence and fellowship. And we want to improve some things in this place. We are so grateful and so thankful for this rundown old Kmart. I don't know if you are, but we are. We think it's cool. We love this place. But we want to make it easier for lost people and outsiders to come in. We want, to, we want a cleaner path, a better path for them to become insiders. And that, so there are some things we need to fix. We want to give 50, the other 50% to life services, which is a ministry, frankly, that we have to outsource to. Because we can't do what they do nearly as well as they do it. I mean, frankly, they can reach some single moms and reach some people that we don't have the infrastructure for, and they're amazing. They're an amazing gift to the body of Christ. And so we want to give 50% of it to them. So we want you to prayerfully consider how you're going to become a person of epic generosity. Now, this is not just about this one-time thing. This is about the tenor of our lives, folks. Are we going to live like this, enjoying the fellowship of the open hands, or are we going to live like this? Join the fellowship. Stay members of the, the tight-fisted. Let's pray. I just want you to seal this in your heart right now. I just want you to take a minute. This, is an, this may seem odd, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, Jeff, I, I was like you. I, I am like you were. I'm a sinner. And it's hard for me to see my life, my broken family. It's hard for me to see my world through the lenses of provision and abundance. All I see is brokenness. But I want to see the world with eyes of faith. I want to look in the box that is my life and see God's provision and abundance. I want to see with those eyes. If that's you today, will you invite Christ to be the Lord of your life? Say something like this with me. Heavenly Father, today I'm submitting. Today I'm confessing my sin. I'm turning away from it. And with the eyes of faith, new faith, I'm turning to you. And I'm asking that you would become the Lord and master of my life. Not resources, not my want, not my need, and not my wealth, but you. And I'm submitting my heart to you today. If you're here today and you've never thought about contributing, but you feel convicted in your heart right now that the Holy Spirit really wants you to begin to be a giver, a contributor to the kingdom of God. You just pray something like this with me. Heavenly Father, 
I'm open. My heart is open. Will you just reveal to me how it is that you want me to give, how it is that you want me to contribute, and what ways that I can make a difference for the kingdom of God and for someone's eternity. Will you please open my eyes and show me how to open my hands? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're gonna worship one last time, then I'll come up with one last thought. Okay, <laughs> take this card this week, excellent. And I want you to prayerfully consider how you can be the gift. Every single person in this room is a gift from the Lord, and you are a gift to the world. God bless you. Have a great week.